Hello, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. Except that, actually, this week we're not going to do that, and we're actually going to do something we have not been able to do very much of so far since we started this podcast, and that is we're going to look ahead. We're going to look ahead at the upcoming season, and you know what? The good news is we finally know for sure there will be UConn basketball this winter. That is uh, pretty much all but confirmed. Uh, the um, you know NCAA has approved the start of uh, the college basketball season to be November 25th, so a little bit later than usual, a little bit shorter season than usual. But by all accounts, it's happening, and uh, that's great news because you know after this you know past six months not being able to watch this UConn team you know this year just would have really would have been a real bummer. So uh, joining me today is Daniel Connolly uh, from the UConn blog, and um, Daniel, we uh, got a lot to look forward to. Uh, how, how have you been doing? And uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on just where we are as a UConn fan base right now? I'm doing good. I think it's really nice to finally have a start date. I always kind of felt like college basketball was going to happen at some point, but I just didn't really know when it would happen or what it'll look like, but I think we're finally starting to get some answers to that. And like you said, of all the years that could have possibly been canceled, it would really, really suck to be this one just because of how much excitement there is, not just with where the program is, but also entering the Big East for the first time again and just all the talent that Dan Hurley's assembled on the squad and the way they finished last season, it would just be a real shame not to be able to see that all come to fruition this year. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we'll just kind of give a caveat. There is a lot that we do not know. And, you know, most of what we're going to talk about remains unconfirmed. Uh, I did my best to kind of do an, uh, you know, read up on the latest information. We're recording this on Monday, September 28th. It's entirely possible that by tomorrow afternoon, Everything we talk about could theoretically have changed. So, you know, all the teams we're going to talk about, all the dates, don't take all that with a grain of salt. Um, so, in any case, why don't we start with the things that we know a little bit more concretely and as it relates to the UConn team specifically. So, uh, the big news of the last couple of weeks is Tyrese Martin, uh, the transfer from URI, has uh, been ruled eligible to play immediately. And, uh, that's pretty big. Um, so, you know, Daniel, just as a, a start, um, you know, why don't you tell everybody, you know, your, your thoughts on Tyrese and the, I guess to the, you know, as, to the best of your knowledge, I guess what fans can expect, uh, you know, from this guy. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's big news that he finally got his waiver approved. I think it seems like the plan when he came in from URI was that UConn was hoping he'd get the waiver and have him ready for this season, whereas last year they didn't even try the waiver with RJ Cole because he wanted to sit out the year and get that extra year of development. So I think he's going to be one of those really good role players for UConn that they haven't, or not that they haven't had, but maybe they've had too many of them the past few years. So I don't think he's going to be leading the team in scoring or they're going to be giving him the ball when there's 10 seconds left. But I kind of see him as the Lasan Chroma type role where he can come in, he can do a little bit of everything where he might not do anything spectacularly, but he's just going to help the team win basketball games. He's got really good height for being a guard slash wing at 6'6". He can rebound really well, which feels like UConn always has rebounding trouble, at least in the last few years. And he's going to provide a pretty solid scoring option, even if he is going to be a little unspectacular, won't have the highlight reel plays like James Booknight or Christian Vital of years past. But like I said, I just think he's going to help them win games, and he's going to be a nice glue guy where 
if things are struggling, Hurley can put him in the game and he knows he probably won't make too many mistakes and won't hurt the team. So I think it's really good that they have him eligible for this season. And I think he's going to play a pretty prominent role this year. Yeah. Well, Son Chrome is a great comp because he, you know, they, they does feel like they could be a similar type of player. Uh, so, you know, for, for people who aren't familiar, Tyrese Martin was a starter as a pretty much his whole career at URI, but he uh, played all of, um, you know, his entire uh, sophomore year. He started every game for URI. Uh, he averaged 10.3 points, 6.1 rebounds, and, um, you know, it was just overall did really well. And, um, you know, just, a, you know, he's a, he's a big guard. He's kind of a swing man. And, you know, we're going to talk about the starting lineup at length later, but he's a guy who could and probably will come in and start right away or at least make a big push. And, um, you know, that's like, that's big. Cause like this team was already pretty deep. So to have another guy who you can just like talk about being like, yeah, that guy could start day one, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Like, you know, last year's team had 10 guys and like, you know, half of them you weren't always sure about. And now it's like, they're like the cup is overflowing, you know? Right. Well, I think another important part to mention about Tyrese Martin is that Hurley recruited him to URI and he just decided to stick with URI after Hurley left, whereas like Brendan Adams originally committed to URI and came to UConn. So he's a Hurley guy. And I think from the very, very early returns of what we've seen from some of the Hurley recruits is that Hurley knows what he wants in his guys and he goes out and get them. But yeah, I, when this news got announced that he got his waiver approved, I was trying to think like, when was the last time UConn had a roster this deep, 13 players where every single one you felt could actually contribute because they technically had a full roster. I think it was two seasons ago, Hurley's first year, but Mamadou DR only played in two games. So he doesn't really count. Quentin Williams got banished after the first half of the season to whoever knows where. Kasum Yakwe never really made much of an impact that season. So they had 13 players on the roster at one point in the season, but it never really panned out. There's only been a few instances this century that they've even had a 13-man roster. So I think the fact that they have not only this much depth, but this much quality depth is pretty remarkable. And I feel like they have a pretty good amount of versatility. Like, I don't think there's really too many players who are locked into playing a single role. Maybe RJ Cole, it sounds like he's pretty much just a point guard. It's not going to play off the ball very much. And then I feel like Josh Carlton's kind of a cookie cutter big where he's not going to step out and hit some threes or he's not going to play out on the wing like a guy, like a cook a cook can or Isaiah Whaley's even shown the ability to hit some jumpers. Other than that, I feel like, I mean, maybe not so much with the bigs. I think most of the bigs are going to play more in the post than out on the wing. But I feel like there's a very thin line between guards and wings on this team. Like James Booknight, sure, he might be listed as a guard, but is he really a two guard? Is he a small forward? Same with Jalen Gaffney. He's a point guard, but he can also play off the ball. Brennan Adams, I think Brennan Adams even played some power forward last year on some small lineups. And we mentioned Tyrese Martin, Tyler Polly can kind of play in a couple different spots. And then Andre Jackson seems like he's also going to be that wing type. So I think there's just a lot of flexibility with the lineups that Dan Hurley's going to be able to throw out because you're not really locked into putting guys in the two spot or this one guy besides RJ Cole doesn't just have to play the point or you don't need to have 
one, two, three, these three guys in spots. I think you can mix and match a lot. And I think that's really, really going to help with their depth on top of just having the 13th man roster. No, definitely. So, yeah, I think uh, looking back, the, the, the deepest team I can really think of was probably the 2011 championship team. And they weren't 13 deep. They had like a solid 10 guys. But then again, that team was also was Kemba. You know, then kind of a small like drop off Jeremy Lamb and Shabazz Napier and, you know, maybe, you know, Alex Oriaki and then like six or seven other guys who are just quality division one players. You know, with, with this, it's like you don't have a Kemba, but the floor is much higher. Like all of your your you're like wor- the worst player on this team might be pretty good. And I can't remember the last time that's been the case. Like, you know, even the 2019, which was just an absolute wagon, you know, their their 12th and 13th guys weren't like, you know, it was. Well, I don't know, but we'll have to see how Richie Springs and some of like the, you know, the, the younger bigs look this year. But if, if nothing else, at least they all have potential. Um, also, I just need to make a quick correction. I just said that um, Martin averaged 10.3 and 6.1. That's actually his career. As a sophomore last year, he actually averaged 12.8 and 7.1. So, you know, got to give him his due. He, uh, he, he's a productive player who can do a lot for sure. Um, anyway, yeah. So, you know, Tyrese Martin's going to be a big help. Um so, you know, as far as kind of what happens next, you know, we, you know, we, the starting lineup is going to be fascinating. Do you even have any semblance of who's going to start? Cause like, I have like basically two guys like, you know, RJ Cole and, uh, uh, book Knight are the only two guys I have penciled in. And after that, it's just like a free for all. Do you have a sense of kind of how, uh, you know, what, what you want the lineup to look like or what it should look like? Any semblance of that? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I feel pretty good. I know for sure Book Knight's going to be starting. That, um, barring injury, he's definitely going to be in the starting lineup. I don't feel as confident on RJ Cole, but from what everything Hurley said and what other players have said, I imagine he starts over Jalen Gaffney, but I thought Gaffney looked pretty good at the end of last season. So it's a high bar for RJ Cole to reach, and I think he will. But yeah, as you mentioned, it's really, really tough to predict. And I could very much see this being a season where there isn't a set starting lineup, where it changes a lot. You see a lot of different guys in there. Maybe it changes every matchup or as the freshmen progress or however. But I think one of the X factors is we haven't really seen what Hurley does with his freshmen early in their careers because there haven't really been these high-end freshmen that have been able to come in and start. Brennan Adams was obviously pretty raw his freshman year. James Booknight probably could have started at the beginning of the season, but obviously there was the whole incident with the police and possible DUI, so he was never going to start immediately when he came off suspension. And then Jalen Gaffney was also pretty far behind when he started he had an ankle injury in the preseason that kind of set him back and well and then a cook a cook isn't wasn't really a true freshman either because he had come in a semester early so I think this year is going to be the first year we finally get to see what Hurley does with his freshmen if he feels they're ready to start right out of the preseason if he wants to give them some time to adjust off the bench because I think a guy like Andre Jackson, from what we've heard, is probably talented enough to start, even with all the depth that UConn has. And there's been a lot of high praise for Adama Sanogo, too. So I think it's possible those two guys start the season. But if I had to guess, I think Hurley goes pretty conservative at the start of the year and sticks with his veterans. So we mentioned Cole and Booknight. 
then if he's healthy, I think Tyler Polly starts the year. He started most of last season, and I don't think Book Knight got into the starting lineup last year until Polly tore his ACL. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... And then I think the way Isaiah Whaley played at the end of last season, if he can carry that over into this year, I, I think he starts because he was a legitimately phenomenal player at the end of last season. There's... No, no two ways about it. He was one of UConn's best players. He was one of the best players in the AAC. And then I think Josh Carlton starts at the beginning of the year just because I don't know if they want to throw Sonogo out there right at the beginning of the year. I don't really know what to expect from Richie Springs. And Dave Bohr just mentioned this. I also think it's a possibility. Javante Brown could redshirt just because they have so many bigs in such a deep lineup that He's supposed to be a really, really raw seven-footer, so if Hurley doesn't think he's going to get a lot of time this year, it might make sense to redshirt him and let him develop the season, which they've kind of done the last few years with their raw bigs with a cook coming in a semester early, and then obviously Richie Springs redshirting for academic reasons, but it still gave him another year because he did reclassify from this year's class into last year, so... I think Cole, Booknight, Polly, Whaley, and Carlton would be my best guess for who starts when the ball tips up for the first game, whatever that is. Yeah, that feels like a pretty good bet for the early part of the season. Um, I think uh, I actually would probably think that Martin would start over Polly just because Polly is coming off the injury. Uh, that's, yeah. you know, we, we think he'll probably be ready to go, but, you know. Martin is a pretty is really good. Um, so if Polly isn't quite like a hundred percent, I could see them maybe just giving him a little bit of a, you know, kind of slow slowly easing him back in. Because you know, unlike last year, they don't need him to start right away. You know, if, if there's any concern at all about his health, why why take the risk? The guy is you know one of the best shooters on the team. You don't you, you can't afford to lose him again. So, you know, that's I I would think that you know if he's ready to go, then he'll be ready to go. But like, you have the option. So. You know, so yeah. As far as I, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, Cole and Booknight are, are are locked in. Jalen Gaffney, I feel like could and maybe will. If he doesn't start, he's gonna play a lot uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the pictures of him just like like in the in the <laughs> gym are ridiculous. He 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 like I don't know, he like looks like that that like it looks like Drake that one time he went from like he worked out for a summer <laughs> and he went from being a string bean to just like being like a linebacker. Like Gaffney like legit has like the biggest shoulders on the team right now. It's kind of it's kind of wild. Um so, you know, shout out to the guys in you know in the in the weight room cuz that's been great to see. Uh you know, Gaffney is good. You know, he'll whether he starts or not, he's going to be a big factor. Uh Brendan Adams, I don't, you know, realistically I don't think we're going to see him start any games, but you know, kind of the same thing with him. He could still be a productive role player on the team and play good minutes. Um so I mean, that's kind of like your your four guard, your four guards and you know, it's a pretty good spot to be. The wings is fascinating because there's the whole Andre Jackson question. If this kid's as good as everyone says, then it won't be long before he's starting. And then, you know, if he's starting, then what about like with the bigs like Carlton and Whaley? I think they both will. And at least one of them should start right away. But, you know, what what happens if Adama Sonogo is a beast? You know, like it, it's, you know, where where the lineup goes by the end of the year, it could be fascinating because, you know, if the starting lineup is the same at the end of the year as it is at the start, I'm actually kind of, I don't know if that's a good sign. Do you, do you agree? 
Yeah, I definitely agree because I honestly don't have a ton of confidence in Carlton after last season. And I think the added weight that he brought on last offseason definitely didn't help him the way the team kind of expected. So I think him re-losing that weight and being in better shape this year is definitely going to help him. But I, I don't know. He's just always kind of had that inconsistency in his career. And even when he was doing well at the end of his sophomore year, he still didn't finish those close layups very well. He still had those mo- moments where he kind of seemed to turn the switch off and just drifted for a little bit. So I, I mean, I'd like to see Carlton do well, obviously, because I think he's got a ton of talent and he could be a really, really good player for this team. But I would be disappointed if he was still starting at the end of the season, unless he's playing as one of the better big men in the conference. That would be the only way I'd be happy that Carlton's playing in the starting lineup by the end of the season. I I also agree with you on Jalen Gaffney. The comparison I made to him last season when he was a freshman was he looked like me wearing a t-shirt. And if you're a Division One basketball player, you don't want to look like me wearing a t-shirt. But the new strength and conditioning coach seems like he's doing wonders. So I, I'm very high on Jalen Gaffney. I just don't know where he fits into the starting lineup and I think he could be a really good guard off the bench but yeah Andre Jackson is a very big question because from all we've heard he's supposed to have a book night type impact as a freshman even though they're kind of different players so I think he does make his way into the starting lineup at some point and like him and book night and then also a guy that we haven't mentioned too much, but a cook, a cook should be back by the end of the season. And I think it's a little hard to project what he's going to be like coming off that Achilles, but he seems to be ahead of schedule. So if you've got a lineup that has book night Jackson and a cook, a cook that has some unbelievable athleticism in it and would just be so much fun to watch them running around, blocking shots, dunking the ball, just in terms of pure entertainment factor, I want to see those three on the court as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think what UConn fans should hopefully be rooting for is a starting lineup by the end of the regular season that includes some combination of Cole, Book Knight, um, a Cook, and uh, Jackson, and then take your pick for whoever you want to plug in for the fifth spot. You know, regardless of where it is on the floor. You know, if those four guys are reach, reaching their potential, I mean, my God, like the potential for this team is off the charts. Like that, that team could be filthy. But, you know, there's so many different scenarios. But like, unlike in the past, like I can imagine like 14 different like lineup combinations that works and could be fun and could be exciting. Whereas on last year's team, there was really only like two or three. And then once a cook went down, you know, if you had told me Isaiah Whaley would be as good as he was. I would have, you know, well, first of all, I'm not sure I would have believed you. The fact that he wound up being so good saved their bacon. Because imagine if like 2000, imagine if like freshman or sophomore year Whaley shows up when they need him last year. I mean, my God, (laughs) it's a train wreck. So it gets ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Needless to say. Um, Yeah. So a a lot to look forward to. Um, So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, we we also probably want to talk about the recruits. Uh, You know, these all these guys all kind of uh, committed a couple months ago now, but you know, it's worth mentioning that the 2021 class is, as far as we know, complete, you know, unless, you know, we lose players to transfer to the NBA. Uh, but yeah, so the three guys we got uh, coming in are Jordan Hawkins, a four-star shooting guard from DeMatha Catholic, six foot five, uh, 170 pounds, ranked number 48 
Uh, and by the way, these are all uh, 247 sports rankings. Um, so there's one. Uh, Rasul Diggins was the first guy. Uh, point guard, four stars out of uh, Archbishop Wood, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's a six foot one, one sixty pounder. A lot of comparisons to AJ Price, and also very, very good on social media. Uh, really got a strong gift game going on there, uh, and a great recruiter apparently because he helped get these other guys on board. Um, and then lastly, most recently, uh, forward Samson Johnson, uh, four stars out of St. Patrick, New Jersey, uh, former teammate of Adama Sinogo. Uh, he's a six foot ten, two hundred and five pounds, ranked number seventy eight in the class. All told, UConn ranks number seven nationally and number three in the Big East and uh, is, by all accounts, their best recruiting class in the, uh, well, it's been in in recent memory that I can, uh, certainly the last few years. What are your thoughts on the recruiting class? I think it just shows not only how much of an impact Dan Hurley's already making at UConn, but what type of impact the Big East has on UConn, because I'm not sure that UConn can get all of these guys, if not any of these guys, if they're not in the Big East, because they pretty much pulled every single one out of one of their Big East rivals' like backyards. They got Diggins over Villanova. Samson Johnson, for a long time, seemed like he might have been destined for Seton Hall, and they snatched him. Same thing with Adama Sanogo in this year's class. A lot of people thought Sonogo was guaranteed for Seton Hall, and Hurley came in and snatched him. So I think it's just a great sign of where the program's heading, that Dan Hurley can go in with his staff, but also the UConn name behind him, and pretty much get the players that they want. These were the three targets they had in the class of 2021, and they got all three of them to fill out their remaining scholarships. So... I think it's hard not to be just totally thrilled. And just as an aside, they all have just great college basketball names. I mean, Jordan Hawkins, Rasul Diggins, and Samson Johnson. I don't think you could ask for much more on the name game with that. But oh, yeah, I think. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's a good, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, Jordan, like, I'm looking forward to just being able to talk all about Hawk all day long. You know, Hawk and Sewell, <laughs> going to be a good time for sure. Yeah, you know, recruit. Recruiting is a subject I was never interested in talking about during the AAC days because A, it was really depressing, and B, who who exactly were we battling with in the AAC for the same recruits? Like, I had never really had any interest in hearing, you know, Memphis, I guess, was bringing in, like, some top 10 guys, which was kind of, you know, kind of fun, but, like, you know, other than that, you know, them in Wichita State, and who else? Like, like, who who cares who's going to Houston? Who cares who's going to SMU? Which made it <laughs> right. doubly frustrating when these guys would show up and then they turn out to be good, and you'd have to like deal with them for a couple years. So at least now, you know, Rasul Diggins, you know, could have gone to Villanova or really anywhere, but he's coming to UConn. You know, Adama Sonogo and you know Samson Johnson were poached right out of Seton Hall's backyard. And, you know, I, there was a great blog post on um, that Marquette SB Nation blog, um, basically about how UConn is coming back for their recruits. And they laid out a, a pretty compelling case as to why Providence, St. John's and Seton Hall kind of owe their success to UConn being, you know, gone for a few years. Because, uh, you know, a lot of those guys, uh, you know, would have been primo targets for UConn. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that all of a sudden Providence and Seton Hall are suddenly good for the first time in a couple of decades as soon as they could tell the recruits like, hey, don't go to UConn because like you have to play, a, you know, Eastern Carolina. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty powerful pitch. And hey, it, what a surprise. UConn's back and all of a sudden those guys are coming back. So, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
I think one of the outstanding memories of the end of the Kevin Ali era, even before things turned bad those last two years, was that they always seemed like they were in the top 10, top 5 for these top recruits, and they just never got them. They would always go somewhere else, pretty much like like clockwork. I mean, UConn really, really struggled getting those high-end recruits, and I think you've seen the dividends of that since that 2016 class, that Fab 5 that was ranked high. They were never really able to get another class that had real elite players in it, and I think we've seen the results of that the last few years with the end of the Ali era and then even Dan Hurley's first two years. So I think the conference name just plays such a huge role because the Big East, and for college basketball, I don't know if there's another conference that holds the weight and the history and just the excitement of the Big East. Like, obviously, the AAC, ACC has some great historic basketball schools like Duke, UNC, even Syracuse and Pitt now that they're there. But just the Big East tournament and Madison Square Garden and the history and the aura that comes with that, I think, is just so tempting for college basketball players. And then you add in the fact that UConn, with all its history, I mean, you I don't know if you've been watching the NBA playoffs with the Celtics, but I feel like every five seconds the the announcers slip in something about Kemba at UConn, Kemba's run, Kemba's Big East tournament step back. They're always talking about UConn and the success that Kemba had there. And I really don't think that's lost on recruits when they see that they can go, oh, if I go to UConn, they're going to be talking about me like that. You don't hear anyone talk about that, (laughs) like Houston or ECU, like you said. But even anyone outside the ACC besides Duke and UNC. Those are really the only two true blue blood programs in the ACC. Whereas the Big East is a just blue blood blue blood basketball conference by itself. And yes, it's not the old Big East. It loses some of those names, but I think with UConn back in it, it's really raised the Big East up a level from where it was. And I don't know if it's still true, but I know at one point, like all but one of the Big East recruiting class, one or two of the Big East recruiting classes was like in the top 25 for the 24-7 rankings. So it just shows you where the conference is headed in its new iteration and just the fact that it's not the Big East of old, but it still holds that name recognition and that excitement that comes with it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you this. I would never, you wouldn't have caught me dead, you know, reading up just like, you know, how, you know, how is, uh, you know, Wichita State doing on one of the, whatever the AAC blog was. Whereas I, I've been going to like, you know, Big East Coast Bias all the time. Like, I actually am kind of into like hearing kind of what, you know, the other teams are up to. Even like the teams like DePaul and Georgetown, like, you know, we're not expecting them to be great this year, but like, they're interesting, you know, like, yeah, even even back in the old old Big East days when, you know, UConn, you know, is like a 16 team conference and DePaul was trash. Like, DePaul is like a better trash team than like half of the trash teams in the AAC. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just all, all together. It's just a better product and it's just a, so much fun to be a part of. So uh, let's talk about what we can look forward to when the season tips off. Uh, you you re- ready to, I guess before we do that, any other kind of UConn uh, specific related thoughts uh, you know, on the, this year's team? No, but I would like to say that for your DePaul comment, yeah, DePaul sucks, but we played in a conference that had like eight DePaul, so it evens out now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if, if DePaul <laughs> if DePaul is the worst team in your conference, then honestly, you're 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 doing pretty you're doing pretty good. 
I mean, heck, let's let's shout out to DePaul. Last year, they actually killed it in non-conference play, and then you know they get to the Big East conference, you know, and they end up losing a lot of games. But what does that tell you? It means that they're actually better than most of these other teams, and you know, it just so happens that they still happen to be the worst in the Big East. Whatever, not not that big a deal. Whatever. Anyway, so the 2020 uh, college basketball season. A lot we don't know, but this is what we do know. Um, recently, the NCAA Division One Council voted to start the season on November 25th, so you know, more or less, kind of around Thanksgiving time, uh, when conveniently a lot of the you know schools will be on break. And it's if if, if uh, what I hear is correct, I, a lot of schools are just not coming back for like December. They're just going to finish the semester and Thanksgiving, and that'll be that. So uh, logistically, that'll help. Um, you know. Keep you know if there's people off campus, that'll help make it a lot easier to hold these games. Um, practices can start on officially on October 14th, so we are only a couple of weeks away from that. And um, teams can play a maximum of 27 games this season, which is down from 31. And that is assuming that they take part in one of those uh, you know those bubble tournaments. Basically, uh, if you do not, I think the number is less, uh, but don't quote me on the number. I want to say it's like 24, or 25. So. Um, as far as the non-conference schedule goes, UConn is scheduled to play in the Legends Classic, which right now, the field, I think the field is at this point consists of uh, UConn, Notre Dame, USC, and Vanderbilt. There were some smaller teams too, but I'm not sure if we're still, I'm not sure if they're still a part of it. And uh, right now, according to Matt Norlander, the current plan is that that will be played at Mohegan Sun in the December 2nd to 3rd range. But like I said, that's I don't think any of that's really been finalized. So what are what are our thoughts on the early season? Do you have a I don't any thoughts on kind of what we can expect or how much of what I just said is actually going to be feasible or will it happen at all? What do you, what do you think? I think it definitely makes sense the start date because I'm not sure what the exact number is, but I know that a majority of the schools are going online for the last few weeks of classes after Thanksgiving. I know at least for UConn having just graduated the weeks after Thanksgiving were always terrible because you have a whole week off, but then you had either like one or two weeks of classes and then finals. So there really wasn't a whole lot that you were coming back to anyways. So I think it's good to start once the majority of the student body is off campus and Mohegan sun makes a lot of sense for a bubble tournament. I was saying when all these pro bubble tournaments were starting that the WNBA or the NBA should have been playing their bubble tournaments at Bohegan Sun because when those leagues were going down to Florida, Florida was a hot spot, whereas Connecticut for a while has had some of the best numbers in the country. So you've got the hotel right there on site. You can set up a lot of basketball courts in the ballroom there, which they do for AAU tournaments anyway, so they have that experience. Then you've obviously got the arena that you can play in. I think it makes a lot of sense and can be done pretty well there, which I think is why a lot of these events are looking to play there. I think I've also read that UConn might even host its own bubble, which kind of makes sense to me and kind of doesn't. So if depending on how you want to do Big East play, you've pretty much got like two months between the Thanksgiving break for schools and then when they return for the second semester right around the second or third week of January. So I think that alone is what makes doing a bubble more feasible for these schools, because I don't think when classes are in session that you can justify having a bubble where you take players away for a week or two or even longer at a time when they may or may not have in-person class 
requirements and may not be fully online, but if they don't have to worry about going to classes for that span of time, you can do a lot more and have these bubbles. And if you're going to do a Big East play in a bubble for a little bit, UConn does make a lot of sense because it's a very central point for a lot of the Eastern Big East teams. I, for the fall sports before they got canceled, the Big East was going to split them into divisions and you were only going to play within your division. So the East division was UConn, Providence, St. John, Seton Hall, Villanova, and Georgetown, which realistically are all within a bus ride of each other. And especially for basketball, where I know UConn charters to pretty much every game, they're quick flights, so you can pretty much fly in and out on the same day, which is what MLS teams are doing now that they've reset in markets. So I think a bubble makes sense because it's a very central location for all those East Coast teams to come to. You know, you have Providence coming from the East, and then you've got all the schools down in the Mid-Atlantic coming. Plus, you're in Connecticut, where obviously the numbers have been really good for a long time, and the governor's been really good at making sure a lot of precautions stay in place, maybe longer than a lot of people think they need to be. So the fact that the numbers are good, it's a central location, I think it makes a lot of sense. I just don't really know where you put all the teams in stores, if it's going to be in stores, just because there's not a ton of hotels or housing around UConn, especially if all the students have their stuff in their housing. It's not like you can kick them out for the winter break. But, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of practice courts. Playing at UConn would be good, but I think... I I can't speak to whether or not these bubble events are going to happen. I'm not plugged in like that, but it seems like people are working hard to find solutions that are safe for the student athletes and for the coaches. And I think it's pretty safe to say that that November 25th start date may not be hard and fast, but I think we'll see some basketball within the week or two after that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a hard time seeing a bubble take place on UConn's campus, but I could imagine UConn trying to swing something as part of you know, piggyback off of the Mohegan Sun setup. Like, you know, the the Legends Classic won't be the only tournament happening over those like two weeks or so. You're also going to have the Empire Classic, probably the uh, here. Let me get the list, actually. Um, yeah. So we got the Empire Classic, uh, the uh, Men's and Women's Hall of Fame tip off, the Gotham Classic and the Hall of Fame Invitational. Those are all supposed to be I, I think they're all run by the same events company. And I, those, I, I believe, are all um, hoping to happen at Mohegan Sun. So you think if you're UConn, you, you're going to be playing a 20-game uh, Big East schedule, probably. And we know of at least probably three uh, Empire, uh, Empire Classic, excuse me, Legends Classic games. Uh, so you have to basically find four more non-conference games to complete your schedule. So where do you find them? And to me, it seems pretty obvious. You just try to piggyback off of those other teams who are at Mohegan Sun for their own things, you know? So like the Empire Classic, for instance, has uh, Michigan, Baylor, and Boston College will be playing in the Empire Classic. So why not try to just schedule something and play one of them at Mohegan Sun too? Maybe, I don't know, try to play all of them. I mean, isn't Baylor, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're a top five team this year, aren't they? That sounds about right. Yeah, so, you know... there's going to be teams to play. So I, I guess it's just a matter of like, you know, finding the space and the time, you know, if this, if this uh, bubble setup is going to be there for like two weeks, you think that'd be enough time to just be like, Hey, we're going to just play over there from like, you know, four to six, that cool. And, you know, just get all that's gonna, you know, get all that stuff, uh, you know, all official and, 
you could you know UConn could easily play seven uh, non-conference games in like you know that couple weeks span, and if they you know if they can pull it off, then there you go, you're off to the races. Now all you got to do is figure out how to you know work the Big East schedule, and presumably that'll be the easy part because you know you'll have everybody really on the same page there. Right. Well, I even think you could have some of these teams just bus up to UConn for a game. Mohegan Sun's far for a student trying to get there for a game, but it's only like a 45-minute bus ride, and especially if no one's going to be on UConn's campus and you can pretty much get off the bus and walk straight into Gamble Pavilion without seeing anyone, I think that would be really feasible. And obviously it doesn't. it goes against a little bit of the whole bubble concept, but at the same time you're going to be going from the hotel onto a bus than not getting off the bus until you get to UConn. So I think there's no reason that UConn could convince some of these teams just to come up to stores to alleviate the congestion that there might be with the Mohegan Sun courts or even just meet them in Hartford for a game. It's still not that far in that direction. So, yeah, I think the fact that so many teams are going to be coming in to Mohegan Sun, it does play advantageous to UConn and I think should allow them to get some more non-conference games outside of just these preseason tournaments that's a good idea too i hadn't given that any thought um it would probably have to in order for that to work i would imagine that you would probably need those teams to be leaving their bubble so maybe you get one of the empire classic teams i just mentioned they're about to leave and go home maybe that's when you get them you just have them drive up to uconn and then play your game and then they go home after that but yeah that's fascinating and one thing I gotta, uh, we should probably also address this too. UConn is supposed to be playing a marquee non-conference game at Florida this year too. I have a hard time seeing that happen, but it, it, that's the if there's any non-conference like you know non-tournament game that's worth preserving, you'd think that would be it. Do you? I don't know. We obviously we love playing Florida. Those games have always been epic. Do you have any? <laughs> do you have any sense of? Uh, I don't know it, whether that's even feasible. Do you? Do you want to see that happen? Would you rather? kind of try to kick that can down the road. What, what are your thoughts on Florida? Yeah, I think you'd rather move that to a future date if you can. If I had to guess, I don't know anything. This is just me speculating, but I don't think any pre-scheduled non-conference game besides these early season tournaments like we've mentioned happened. Like I don't I think most of those scheduled ones are just either going to be pushed down the road or canceled and paid out or whatever it is. I just don't see how they kind of come together i don't know why uconn would really want to travel to florida because obviously it's been a hot spot and it has kind of struggled to get out of that so i think just in terms of a health health and safety thing uconn wouldn't want to go down to florida but i don't know that is the one to save if if it does happen i think it would just be best to try and get that to a different year because obviously you schedule those non-conference games those big non-conference games for the ticket draw, and there's not going to be anyone at that game, even if they do play. So it would definitely be better in 2021 or even 2022, whenever the two schools could figure out something. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, and then, you know, as far as the Big East uh, conference play is concerned, uh, Matt Norlander has also reported recently that the league is considering starting at uh, on, on or around uh, December 12th and possibly up kind of, over that following week, depending on, you know, what each school wants. So obviously that would be a lot earlier than usual. Um, you know, normally you'd expect that to start kind of right after the new year, but it could be interesting. Um, you know, it'll potentially allow them to set up kind of like a, uh, what would you call it? Like a rotating bubble setup where maybe you have like four teams or 
what is 11 teams? Yeah. So three or four teams like from each region of the conference kind of come together, play each other and then, you know, swap it out and kind of keep going from there. You know, it certainly at least allows you to take advantage of more of the time that the students are off campus too. So we don't know anything about this. So I'm going to ask you a different question. UConn's going to be playing its first game back in the Big East in some time, some point in December. Who do you want them to open against? Oh, that's a good one. I think you definitely want one of the original Big East schools. So I think it would be weird to open your first Big East game against like Xavier or Creighton because they weren't part of that original Big East. So I think Villanova would probably be ideal because obviously there's the most history. They've been the two best programs remaining in the Big East, at least recently. I think Georgetown would be a pretty good second because Georgetown's second to the UConn in conference titles. I think those are definitely your one and two choices. Maybe Providence, but I feel like UConn's quote-unquote rivalry with Providence is more of a big brother, little brother thing. So I don't know how much excitement there would be except for UConn just wanting to beat Providence by 50 to finally shut them up about thinking they're New England school. I... I would be probably disappointed if it was anyone other than Villanova or Georgetown. Okay, you can talk me into both of those, but actually, I disagree. I, in fact, I'm I'm totally on the opposite side of the spectrum. I would like to see UConn open its Big East schedule against Butler at Gamble Pavilion. As oh. and 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 I, I think you sense why because we are celebrating the 10 year anniversary <laughs> of the 2010-2011 national championship season, which, as you recall, ended with a victory over Butler in the national title game. Give me that matchup all day. I want to see Butler at Gamble. Well, I want to see Butler at Gamble Pavilion on TV, realistically. But you know, obviously, without the fans, that's that match. It's never going to be what it could have been. But that's kind of what I always envisioned as a really cool way to kind of kick off the new Big East schedule, and you know, kind of also honor the the, the 2011 team at the same time. We're not going to see like the big epic reunion. It would have been cool to have like Kemba and J- Jeremy and all those guys come back and get a big standing ovation. Maybe we'll have to push that back a year. Whatever it is, what it is. But I think, yeah, and then also, you know, Butler, Butler's a good team, but they're also not like, you know, the risk of opening with Villanova is that Villanova might win. <laughs> they're pretty good. Yeah. I think UConn can beat Butler. So I feel like it would be good to get like a, a good beatable team to start off with and kind of, you know, Villanova, you need to warm up for Villanova. You know, you want, you want to take them in like sometime in early January when you have a cook back on the floor. Cause you know, otherwise you, if you catch them too early, that could be a problem too. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. I like your Butler idea. Could definitely do a, do a lot. Re-raise the 2011 banner or something. Uh, put some decals on the floor, on the jersey. Maybe get Brad Stevens down with Kemba or something. I don't know. I think you'd do a lot with that. Yeah, I see your point with Villanova. I, was, I wasn't more thinking basketball. I was more on the lines of historically. So with that, I think I'd actually probably pick Georgetown then just as a iconic Big East battle against a team that UConn probably should sweep. I would hope so. They seem like they might take a step back this year. So, yeah, I'll change my pick to Georgetown. And then hopefully you can get Providence later in the year when we get a cookback so that it would be more realistic to probably beat them by 50. I just want to beat Providence by a lot. Yeah, well, I think if history is any, you know, if, if history showed us even like UConn's best teams always lose those WTF games against Providence. So 
I, I would like I hope that they could pull that off, but I wouldn't count on it. Providence is weirdly competitive like that. It's kind of annoying, but you know, that's just how it's, it would truly be appropriate for them to just come in and like scare the hell out of us or something. So yeah, Georgetown would be fun. That'd be a good one. Patrick Ewing would be good to see too. He's a, you know, obviously got a, got a job to do right now, but it is what it is. So uh, this kind of segues perfectly into the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is the Big East itself. Um, you know, according to, you know, most prognosticators, UConn is expected to probably be somewhere in the top half of the conference. Uh, Villanova is the favorite. Uh, Creighton is kind of seems to be considered the second best team. And then after that, it's, you know, well, you know, it's kind of up for debate. So where do you, what, what is your thoughts on the Big East as a whole? And, um, uh, kind of run down the teams as you know as you see fit yeah i think it's really kind of proving itself especially this year to be not just a good basketball conference but like pushing to be one of the best on a consistent basis they've got a perennial national title contender in villanova and then they've got a pretty strong group besides that of teams that are usually pretty con- competitive. I mean, I think Xavier's been a really good program the last few years, having a couple different coaches. Providence with Ed Cooley has always kind of been a fringe NCAA tournament team. Marquette seems like they're not super thrilled with their head coach, but they're always one of those scrappy teams that UConn always seems to have trouble with. And then Butler, like you mentioned, is just a pretty consistent program. And then I like what Kevin Willard's done with Seton Hall. They've really been one of those this year would have been really interesting to see what they could have done with miles bryant no that's not his name that's miles bryant is a patriots quarterback yes (laughs) miles 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 powell Powell. that's who i'm thinking of i it would have been really interesting to see what they would have done in the ncaa tournament with him but they seem to be a program on the rise i honestly don't know a whole lot about creighton admittedly but there's just uh, it's a very deep conference where, as you mentioned, Villanova's at the top, and I think below that it's just going to be a fight for the rest of it. So I think it's going to be a really fun conference to step into this season, and I think pretty much every single game, besides maybe the St. John's, Georgetown, and DePaul, are probably going to be rock fights for the entire season which is exactly what you want in the big east yeah absolutely so i think kind of what i'm thinking is uconn is good enough to finish in the top four and that's kind of where my expectation is uh they're certainly also good enough to win but villanova they're they're damn good so you can't like if uconn finishes second to villanova that's got to be looked at as a huge success you know obviously i'd rather they win but like UConn hasn't even made the NCAA tournament in like five years. So like, let's, we need to, we do, we do need to remember to walk before we run here, but the team is good enough that it feels like a lot should be possible. Uh, So Creighton, you know, uh, they, they, you know, they're, they're a good team. I I can't, I can't claim to be some kind of Creighton expert, but I can tell you about one of their guys. Um, You know, Marcus Zagorowski is a terrific player actually a player i've i've seen for i've been following him for a long time so um in, in my neck of the woods up in the northeast massachusetts uh marcus and his marcus and his brother were uh standout uh you know high school players in the cape Ann league uh playing and they led hamilton wenham to a state championship and uh, just i bring this up because uh 
That same year, uh, a certain Penn State tight end named Pat Fryermuth was starring for Pentucket. So you had a future NFL tight end, Pat Fryermuth, play high school basketball against probably future NBA guard Marcus Zagorowski. So that's some trivia for you if you ever happen to, you know, catch the Creighton game. Um, so yeah, but anyway, you know, uh, the Zagorowski is fantastic. Uh, Creighton is just a solid all-around team. Um, UConn should be able to beat them, but you know. The consensus does seem to be that they'll be the number two team, like in the preseason rankings. And, you know, UConn fans should probably respect them for that much, at least. And, you know, Creighton, given, you know, this may not be the case exactly because of COVID, but that their fan base is t- fantastic. Like they have this huge arena and they sell it out all the time. So, you know, that'll be a good one for like down the road, like for a good Midwest road trip, you know, just to. I can't. I can't imagine many reasons why you'd go to Nebraska, but uh, you know, going to see a UConn Creighton game might be an experience worth checking out at least once uh, one of these years. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're one of those schools where I hope they sell out every game because what else do you do in Creighton, Nebraska? Like, I or no, oh, Omaha. They're in Omaha. I definitely didn't just call it Creighton, Nebraska, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I guess. Um, you know, we, we just don't, we don't really know what the future holds, but I guess just kind of to wrap this up, you know, where, where are your, what are your thoughts on kind of just how the season is going to play out and where we could find ourselves in late February, early March, or even April, uh, how we feel about UConn basketball and what do you, what do you think, uh, what do you think we'll be talking about at that point? So I think what we've seen from Dan Hurley through his first two seasons is both individual players on the team and the team itself develops significantly from the beginning of the season to the start to the end of the year. So I don't think what we see in the first games in late November, early December are going to resemble anything from what we see in the team in February and March. Hopefully they're going to have some better injury luck this year. They won't lose a bunch of starters like they have the last few years. We'll get a cook back by the end of the season and he'll be healthy. Holly will be good to go by the start of the season, if not early in the year. I think it's pretty reasonable to expect them to compete for the Big East regular season title, even if it may ultimately go to Villanova. I think you can at least give them a little bit of a push and stay in that mix towards the end of the season and then be fighting it out for second, third, fourth, fifth place with the other teams in the conference. I think just a good goal would be to wherever UConn is ranked in the coaches preseason poll because I imagine it would be not super high towards the top I would guess in the five six even seven range so if you can finish above that I think you'd be pretty happy with that and then if the team's progressing throughout the season I don't think the regular season finish means a whole lot once that calendar turns to March and the postseason starts I think they should be right in the mix to win the Big East tournament. And I think pretty obviously the NCAA tournament making it should just be an absolute minimum this season. If for some reason they don't make the NCAA tournament, I think that would be a massive, gigantic disappointment and would pretty drastically change my view on Dan Hurley. But I think they make the NCAA tournament. I think they compete for the Big East regular season and tournament crowns and could at least put themselves in position to make an NCAA tournament run. Boy, it feels nice to be able to say all of that and have it be realistic. <laughs> and let me tell you, if UConn is only ranked number seven in the preseason Big East coaches poll, then I'm going to start raising hell because that would be an outrage. <laughs> 
but I agree. You know, whatever it is, you know, I, I, I sincerely uh, hope that everything you just said pans out. Um, my thinking is, you know, pretty much the same. I just, well, after last, uh, the, the whole reason this podcast even exists is basically because, you know, after the, you know, the NCAA tournament was canceled and I was just like, man, like, what are we doing? Like, this is horrible. So sincerely hoping that we will not re- have a repeat of that, uh, sadness next year. Sir, it looks like they're going to figure out a way to make it work. The, you know, the NCAA tournament, especially, it seems like they're well underway at preparations to come up with some kind of bubble setup to make that happen. And, you know, I just can't wait to watch UConn basketball again. Like, that's the thing that I've been thinking all, all since the beginning. Like, you know, just give me this, please. Like, we've been looking forward to this for so long. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't really get to be a fan of many teams anymore. I've, you know, kind of put away my fan card with the Patriots, obviously, and you know, I kind of seen how the sausage is made with the other pro teams, but UConn basketball is just so much fun or it, well, it was so much fun. And now it looks like it's going to be again. So going to hope for uh, hope for good stuff, I guess. Right. Yeah, I agree. Like just, I, I think my favorite thing about UConn is that when the program's on and doing well and competing for championships, it just really galvanizes the whole state and, there's people that you know aren't huge sports fans that are going to be talking about UConn and the people who have maybe drifted off following the team the last few years since they've been horrible, not blaming them for doing it at all either. They're talking about it and everyone is just so excited for, oh yeah, they're playing Villanova tonight or like, oh, the Big East tournaments tonight. Like, I can't wait to watch that. And like, you can just like walk into your doctor's office and people in there are talking about it. And we haven't had that for a long time because it's pretty much been since that national championship, aside from maybe the Jalen Adams buzzer beater, change that for a little bit. But other than that, they've really never been back on that national stage since then. So I think this is the first step towards getting back and getting that excitement and buzz going again. Beautiful. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. So Dan, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on again. This is great. I think this is a good place to wrap it up. So uh, yeah, if there's a, I don't know, want to plug anything real quick while I, uh, while I got you. Um, sure. Read the Yukon blog, follow me on Twitter at Daniel V Connolly. subscribe to my Yukon women's basketball newsletter, which you can find either on my Twitter or the Yukon blog and um, listen to my women's Yukon ba- women's basketball podcast, chasing perfection. So it's good stuff. Yeah, you did great work with that as well. Um, yeah, so anyway, thanks to all of you guys for listening. We'll be back uh, hopefully next week, but, you know, sports are back, so I've been busier, obviously. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. DMs are open. You know, Gmail, is a, we have a podcast uh, email set up, and that is yesuconpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, those help us out a lot. And, you know, leave us reviews and stuff too if you like what you hear. Anyway, uh, yeah, Dan, thanks again. And all of you guys, thanks for so much for listening. We will be back next time. Mm-hmm.